the last couple of years, what we've done, and this is just kind of, I, kind of my quirkiness, I guess. Uh, somebody told me the other day, you're the quirkiest friend I have, and I said, I get that. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's my opinion, my belief, that uh, we need to celebrate Pentecost. Uh, I was talking to some of elders we were talking the other night, and I said, you know, uh, you know, we, we do a lot of things for Easter, and, that, and that's really important. And it's wonderful in all the effort and all the time. But, you know, it's surprising to me when we look at the Bible and when we look at Scripture that after Jesus rose from the dead and after He had communicated with the disciples, He didn't then just say, sick them, you know. I, I would think that, you know, he, He's risen from the dead, uh, He's alive, that he would say second. But if you'll recall in Luke chapter 24, Jesus said to them, hey, go wait. You think, for what? That you would be, he's the word Greek word, that you would be clothed with power. Now it's my belief, and you don't have to agree with it, it's my belief that really Easter, as wonderful it is, is not the end of the story. That Pentecost is what makes Christianity more than a religion but a relationship with a living God who inhabits the hearts and lives of His people. Now, I think that's something to celebrate, don't you? You know, well, if you come, you're going to. <laughs> and we're going to have cake, and Beth is our party person, so who knows what it's going to be? You know, I, I, I set a couple of parameters on that. But next week, I want to teach on uh, one of the conversations that Jesus had about the importance, about the reality, about the experience, if you will, of the Holy Spirit. I personally believe, that just again, as I look at the scope of Scripture, that really the goal of everything that God has ever done in the universe is to bring His people to the point of Pentecost. Everything. Everything that God has done and has worked and created is to bring the fact that He comes to now re-inhabit his people in the life of uh, in their lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're gonna have a great time. It's gonna be fun, and we'll have cake, and we may have hats. I don't know. Beth has got a budget, but uh, we don't <clears throat> we don't know. We don't know. But hey, we're, we like to party around here, and we like to celebrate, and so uh, we wanna we wanna wanna do that. So next week, come if you want to, and uh, we're gonna celebrate, and we're gonna talk about and discuss uh, the the vital importance of the ministry and the person of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that takes Christianity from just being a religion and try harder and uh, do your best and hope things work out uh, to the power of the Spirit of God in our lives. So we'll look at that. All right. Well, anyway, uh, thanks, Gene, for teaching last week. Uh, Becky told me on Friday we were leaving town earlier than we planned. <laughs> yeah, I told her I believe in mutual submission. Uh, whenever she tells me to do something, I will. Uh, and uh, so we, but Gene, thanks. He uh, he kind of got a short notice. I, I didn't know I was leaving actually until Friday evening, uh, but uh, Becky informed me of that, so we're we're okay with that. Uh, we're in this series, and and last time we we're together, we were in this series on conversations with Jesus, and in John chapter four, if you want to turn there, we didn't finish, and that is not terribly unusual with this rather long incident uh, of uh, of uh, this conversation that Jesus had with what is typically understood as the woman at the well. And uh, <clears throat> I got on your outline there, if you want to go back and listen and uh, follow along with it, you can, so we can remember this, uh, what, we, what we've done. John uh, chapter 4, uh, you'll uh, be there here in a moment, and I will too, where Jesus uh, does some pretty unusual things, and in this conversation uh, with this woman, uh, there, there's some real uh, truths here, I think. And I've, and I've labeled this idea here, the real love of God in Jesus. Now, you just say, well, you know, isn't the love of God in Jesus real all the time? I think it's, it, for me, it's at least interesting that in John's gospel, 
that often, as you know, there are no verse notations, there are no numbers. Uh, the Masoretics did that back in the 5th century, 4th century. So the Bible was just a manuscript of, of constant reading. And uh, so often uh, people will suggest that when you're reading the Gospel of John, the chapters 3 and 4 really kind of serve as a unit where Jesus is having conversations with people about what it means to experience this wonderful thing of salvation. And in chapter 3, you have a person who is on the high end of the food chain, a man who's a Pharisee, who's a Jew, a religious leader. And in chapter 4, you have the bottom of the food chain, a woman who's a mixed-raced Samaritan who apparently is immoral. The, the, the contrast there is rather uh, shocking. Uh, when you look how Jesus interacts with all of these people. And we're going to continue to look at that. Uh, the other thing is this, and that's why I'm calling it the real love of God in Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, Jesus had said, and John had recorded, that God loved the world so much that He gave His only Son. And I, I want to suggest you think in these terms at least, that one of the things that is happening here is that this idea that God loves the world, which in a Jewish mind would typically be them, and that's it. Us four, my dad would always say, us four and no more. You know, that, that it's God loves the world of Jews, but not everybody else. That this is a stark application or a stark kind of uh, indication here. Clearly, God must love the world if after saying that, He is willing to communicate and talk with a Samaritan immoral woman. And so I think this, again, is a part of the picture that, that John is trying to show that this idea of Jesus' love for the world isn't just something theoretical. Remember the statement, it says, we, we tend to think of that sometimes. We talk about the love of God and, and we discuss it, but it gets kind of theoretical, doesn't it? We, we don't always know how to, to work with that or experience that. One guy said, you know, when it's all said and done, more is said than done. You know, Right? <clears throat> when, all, when all is said and done, more is said than done. And the idea of loving the world and, and loving, loving others is, is often getting into the abstract. Remember the Linus cartoon, when, or Peanuts cartoon, when Linus said, I love the world, it's people I can't stand. You know? It gets harder, doesn't it? When it gets down into the, to the trenches, when we have to really take this, or Jesus has to demonstrate to us this love. So last time again, I just want to run you through this real quick. That what we saw, this real love, I, I think this is a picture, this is an indication of love that isn't just talk, it isn't just abstract, it isn't just something to say, it's something real in life, in time. And we said this last time here, uh, that the setting of God's love, you'll go back and listen to that, the setting, Samaria, remarkable, and I'm not going to go back over it again, but these are mixed race, half Jews, hated, despised, beyond belief of these people. I'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. But, but the setting of God's love is in the most unlikely place in the world. Uh, if, if, if in our culture, uh, this would be some of the untouchables, if you will, that we tend to think that this would be uh, happening in a gay community or this would be happening in a racially mixed up community or in a community where people hate our guts. Uh, that, that, this is the impact of this. This is, this is staggering when you think about the setting here of God's love. Then second of all, the shock of God's love. The shock of God's love is that He ever talked to this woman. A Jewish law required that a man never spoke to another woman, even his wife, in public. This was unheard of. The other thing is we'll see in a moment about this living water thing. 
that the shock of this, and I would have you go back and look, is that Jesus is really tired. Jesus is really a human being here. Jesus is someone who has experiencing, is experiencing the dregs of human experience. He's tired. He's weary. He's thirsty. It's hot. Again, if you want to go back and listen to that, I, there's some things about the gospel that we just heard too long that don't shock us anymore. That Jesus is fully human. Fully human. That doesn't shock us, you know, because we've heard it so much. But I'll tell you, the people in that day, to hear that this God-man is fully man, and I refer you back to Hebrews chapter 5 where I said to you that I wouldn't believe it if it wasn't in the Bible when it says, and that Jesus became perfect through the things that He suffered. Jesus became complete in the things that He suffered. There are things that Jesus experienced as in the flesh that He had never experienced before as God. I know that sounds nuts, but that's what the Scripture says. That Jesus was made perfect or complete by what He suffered. That's shocking to me. And then the person did. Now, let, let's go on. I, I, you can go listen to that later if you want to. The sign of God's love. This is where I want to pick it up at verses 10. The, the, the sign or the, the, the symbol, if you will, of God's love. The woman again in verse 9, she's shocked. That's that last point we looked at, that you would ask for a drink from me. And Jesus answered and said to him, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. You might want to underline the words give here, if you gift or given. I'm going to come back to that. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. And there you have any, and, and, and then do you get that, where do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank from it himself and his sons and cattle. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give shall never thirst. There's that word give again. But the water I give, there's that word again, give him, will become to him a well of water springing up into eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give, there it is again, the word give, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. Now, it's interesting here to me uh, that, that Jesus uh, is indicating something here to this woman. And I'm, I'm just going to call it the sign of His love. The sign or the significance or the, the symbol here. That Jesus says to this woman, in a real act of love, listen, I know you've come to draw water, and I know you need physical water, and that, that's a, 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 a biological need. But I have something to give you that you don't have. I have something that he says, the only way I can describe it, and anytime we read the Bible, understand, it's always analogical. There's something about what Jesus is referring to that is analogous to something we know about. Now, when we were in Israel a couple of years ago, I think I mentioned that a couple of times. Uh, one of the things that was interesting is uh, that there are lots of wells, and if you've done any study in the Bible, and you told, you know, Abraham went in and drug, dug a well, and, and, and here Jacob had dug this well centuries before that. But one of the things, it's kind of like Oklahoma, and too, we went to West Texas where we saw that. Uh, I, I've been across a river down in West Texas we were at that I have never seen the water run in it in my life. I mean, they call it a river, but it's not. <laughs> you know, uh, I've been to Garden City, uh, which is neither a garden nor a city, but the Arkansas River there, I've, I've never seen water in it. I, I mean, I've seen it a couple times where it's kind of pooled up. We, we went across the Red River and I said, Beck, that thing's a mile wide and a half an inch deep, you know. Uh, you know, 
pooled water. Well, you know, pooling water, we're Dick and Terry, and then we're working around the world. When you go draw water out of a place where it's stationary, there's great danger in that. I mean, that stuff gets goofed up and messed up, and, and uh, you, know, uh, I, I, you know, you've seen all those old movies with Ward Bond when he's the, you know, the uh, scout for John Wayne and sticks his head in the water, and it's pison, you know. You've seen us, right? I don't know where this stuff comes from. I have no idea. It just starts happening. It's pison. Uh, that, that water that is, is stationary or held there in a cistern or a well, you know, depending on the, the flow. Now, what's remarkable about this well, if you're interested, it has, it has had water, clean water, for thousands of years. Must be round some kind of uh, uh, aquifer something. They get this. They understand that water's in wells and have to go drag it out and, or pull it up. And, and that, but, but Jesus says, there's something here I want to give you that, that is more than just some kind of stationary, keep going back to it and, and with it, it. It's living water. Now, think about that in an arid place. I tell you, I, again, I said to Becky when we were going out of Jerusalem, part of Israel looks like the moon. I mean, there's nothing green. There's no water. Uh, you know, uh, the area is arid. And Jesus says... I'm, I'm going to give you living water. Now, I want to ask you to consider something here. Jesus relates to this one. The sign of His love in my judgment is that He said, I'm going to give you something, but watch this. When Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, what did He talk about? Life from above. Very theological idea, by the way. What you need is life from above. What He says to this woman is you need water. And what I've noticed about Jesus, the sign of His love, is that Jesus deals with us as individuals. He didn't talk to her about being born again. She wouldn't get it. She wouldn't understand being born again, born from above. That's a big theological notion. Nicodemus understood it. She didn't have a clue. Jesus didn't say, now I've got this little program here. I've got this canned presentation. Let me make it to you, and then we'll see what you have to say. He relates to her as a person. He says, I know what you'll understand. Water. You know, you know, that's the danger when we take one scripture or one place and we try to apply it to everybody. It isn't applied to everybody. There's something here about this woman that Jesus says, I wrote in my notes here, we, we, we tend to treat people like projects. Jesus t- treats people like people. What's your need? What's your, yeah, stand Yeah, living. Yeah, the, the idea here, Stan, I, is is the idea of living water. Two things, and Jesus said it's going to well up within you. Part of this is some understanding. I, I don't want to play this out all the way, but in John chapter seven, I'm going to talk some more about this next week, where Jesus said, well, "If you believe in me, out of your belly will flow rivers of living." Water. Now, what living water typically refers to, we'll look at it's the Holy Spirit, but living water is the idea, in, at least in that part of the world, of flowing water. Water that's flowing. Water, water that is at some, if you will, the headwaters of the, of the stream or the river, and it's flowing and it's alive and it's pure. And so the idea that it isn't just in this stationary place, it, it's alive in that it's moving. It's moving. 
Now, there aren't a lot of places like that. The Jordan River, you know, one place, and sometimes it isn't doing much of that. So the idea of living water is water that's moving, it's being refreshed, it's constant. There's a constant stream of this. In the Old Testament, if you'll recall, and and I I don't want to draw too far on this, but but in the Old Testament, uh, uh, God instructed Moses and everyone that whenever they did any purification rite, the water had to be moving. If you recall that in Leviticus, the water had to be moving. You didn't take a bath or just there was some ceremonial washing, but in purification ceremonies, the water had to move. It's that it's carrying off impurity. So I, I don't know. It's Jesus might be saying. I, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly saying there's a source of life and water here that isn't stationary like a well. It's alive. It's moving throughout. Yeah. So it's different than this static standard place. So Jesus says. I'm going to talk to you in a way you understand. I mean, she, she, she understands something. She says, well, give me this water so I don't have to keep coming back. But you know, this is the idea of Jesus using the idea of something she understands. You know, again, we, the sign of God's love here is that He treats her like a real person, not a project. Do we ever do that to people when we want to teach them something or say something to them? Instead of listening, instead of treating a person as a person, we've kind of got a canned approach that we give to everybody. And if you don't like it and it doesn't mean anything to you, too bad it's on you. I did my job, you know, did my responsibility. I want to ask you to consider that, that we not treat people as projects, but as people that we use language that they understand. Look at also what Jesus said here in this matter. The word give or gift. The word gift shows up in verse 10. The word give shows up in verses 10 twice. The word give shows up in verse 14. The word give shows up in 15. One might say that what Jesus is trying to drive is this. I have something I want to give you. I have something I want to give you. It's not something you can earn. It's not something you have to deserve. It's not something that you can find on your own. I have something to give you. I love what Tim Keller said. He's a great guy in New York City that says that the only thing required for you to receive from Jesus is that you know you have a need. Need is what qualifies you. We tend to think that what qualifies us is our hard effort and energy and our trying harder. But it's our need, our sense of need is what qualifies us. And when we get to the point, if you will, perhaps like this woman, to where we get to the point that we're willing to let God deal with us as individuals and not just some smattering of, 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 of humanity, but to really deal with us personally, personally in ways that we understand. And that we understand that our need is what qualifies us, not our accomplishments. You ever struggle with that? I, I think a lot of us think that God will give us certain things when we've been good. Or God will give us what we need when we've shown enough effort. I think that is remarkable in that how wrong it is. Watch what Jesus does here. I believe I put this on your outline. And that's this. Jesus connects before He corrects. The sign of His love, treating her as an individual, speaking in a way she would understand, Saying, I have something to give you here. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough for it. It's too, too much. Too more than you can handle. He, co- he connects with her. 
before he corrects. Is that what we do? Aren't we quick to correct before we connect? Aren't we quick to say, well, they're doing that. They all just, well, find out what's going on first. Discover, uh, perhaps, if you will, why they're doing it. What, what's their story? What's their situation? I find, again, that, that the sign of Jesus' love, again, is His willingness to deal with her as a real person, not a project. To, and, and, then, and to speak to her in ways that she would understand. And then to say to her, I have something to give you. I have something you, you need and I can give it to you. I don't know that I always deal with people. I, I'm too quick to judge behavior. Anybody with me? I'm too quick to judge behavior. I'm too quick to draw conclusions. I'm, I'm too quick to decide, I know why you did that. I know what you're up to. Instead of connecting with them, before it correct. I want to ask you to consider this this week. I, you know, we got all kinds of relationships and like that. But in our relationships with other people, find a way this week, and one of the ways you can do it is ask them to tell their story. Tell, let them tell their story. Find out how you can connect with people before you begin to correct. Now, Jesus is going to get into some of this. But He, 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 he is willing, if you will, first of all, to connect. That takes time, doesn't it? We have to treat people as people. Okay, second thing here. The strength of God's love. The strength of God's love. Uh, here in verses uh, 16 to 22, I'll look at this. You know, when I was thinking about this, the strength of God's love. I, maybe you've read the book I've got on my desk, uh, reading it and have had it, um, by Martin Luther King called Strength to Love. If you haven't read that book, that is a great book. Strength to Love by Martin Luther King. It's one of his most famous books he ever wrote. And, and we don't often think about love having a lot of strength. In our society, we sort of measured it as a, you know, you're just being weak or you're just rolling over. And we're not talking about enabling people. I was thinking about this though. You know, I had some friends years ago uh, that told me that if I would take an egg and hold my fingers together and put that egg in my hand and squeeze it as hard as I could, I couldn't break it. Now, I didn't trust those guys. <laughs> those are the same guys that put salt on butter and said, put your nose down there and see what it, it, the heat comes off of it, right? Had them do that? I don't want to shock you here. If anybody does that to you, what they're going to do, put your nose right in the butter. You go like that. So, uh, anyway, I've, had, I've, I've gotten new friends since then. Yeah, I, I, I needed new friends. And, and, and so they asked me to do that. And after a while, you know, I, I thought they were goofing. But I found out there's some scientific proof, and I don't have time to go through all this, but there's the tensile strength of an egg. And when you put it in your hand, do not try this at home, okay? I'm a professional. <laughs> uh, and don't tell your kids or there'll be six dozen eggs on the floor. But if you put your hand like that and, and close it up, your fingers like, and pull, pull, you can't break it. Now, you think how fragile... An egg appears to be, you know, I mean, but it has incredible strength. I don't, I don't think we sometimes think about love as being strong. That love has strength. It has ability and courage. It, it looks weak in times and sentimental, but it's actually strong. The strength of God's love. Let me ask you to consider the following. Number one, He gives her the opportunity to face herself. After she'd asked 
for uh, this water. In verse 15, he said to her, Go call your husband. The woman answered and said to him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You've answered correctly that you have no husband, for you have five husbands. And the one whom you have now is not your husband. You have said this truly. You know, that I believe Jesus knew you know, that some commentators say, well, Jesus said that go get your husband because it's wrong for a, a man to speak to a woman by himself. It really is. It's culturally unacceptable. You know, uh, this is again where the, where the, where the gospel, it, we've read it too often, but you know, Jesus did become fully human. Colossians 2 tells us He emptied Himself of His Godness, if you will. He emptied. Kenosis is the, the Greek word. He emptied. That doesn't mean he wasn't God. It just means he refused to rely on his godlike powers for himself. He never did. He never, ever used any of his God powers. He emptied. He divested, if you will. He divested himself of all those powers. It doesn't mean he wasn't God. It doesn't mean he, apparently he could still read people's minds. Apparently knew what some people were going to do. He's still God, but He's divested of that and will not use it in any way for Himself. That's why He's thirsty. That's why He's hungry. Had an interesting conversation with Mike last week. We were discussing this. This this has some terribly powerful implications, if this is true. (laughs) That Jesus is showing human beings how to live totally dependent on the Father. That's how He lived. He never took advantage of any of His God powers. Ever. And He lived the way He did because He lived in total dependence on His Father. Now, b- before you get crazy for a second, I mean, can we do that? I, I don't know. Theologically and theoretically, I would say yes. But it's a fascinating thought that here Jesus, does He know? Has He divested Himself? He said, go get your husband. Well, he apparently knows because he's God still in the flesh. You see, <clears throat> Jesus opens the door for her to face herself. Remember, he, he connected before he corrected. And now Jesus is saying, I, I know that you have five husbands. Now we tend to read that with some jaded kinds of thoughts, I think. And when I read that <clears throat> with a little historical background, I, I ask the question, Is this woman a sinful woman? Or has she terrible judgment in choosing husbands? Let me me tell you why. She could have five husbands for some of the following reasons. Most people didn't live very long in those days. And there were often times that people died from illness or accident. And that's possible. Uh, Jesus only connects or, or, or helps her face herself and say, okay... You've had five, but the guy you're living with is not your husband now. Two. or that, That's one reason. Through illness or accident. It wasn't unusual in Jesus' day for women to be divorced for almost any reason at all. Let me read you a little bit from the Talmud. <clears throat> Rabbi Shammai says this, A man should not divorce his wife unless he's found her guilty of some unseemly conduct. Like talk to another man on the street. That's unseemly. It's against the culture. 
So Shammai says, if, if your wife is involved in some unseemly conduct, divorce her. Hillel, the other major school of uh, rabbinical teaching, however said, that a man may divorce his wife even if she spoils his food. I would say if she knew that, she'd put poison in it. <laughs> poison. That's right, poison. <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you for bringing me back. Yeah. You know, if you spoil his food, you divorce him. Since because he hath found her unseemingly in this thing. Now this is the Talmud, folks. The, 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 the compilation of, of, of rabbinical teaching and, and knowledge and the Mishnah or the oral law throughout history. Listen to this one. Rabbi Akiba. He may divorce her even if he finds another woman more beautiful. It cometh to pass that she finds no favor in his eyes anymore. Now look, we, we got to be careful here. We, we tend to treat her as a prostitute, as a woman of ill repute, but that's not the only possibility here. Okay? Let's be careful. Again, uh, you know, we, we, can, we can get dismissive of people when we see that. I, I want to say it again. We've got to treat people like Jesus did, like people. We've got to listen to their story and find out what's going on. Jesus' actions here are curious to me because He brings this up to talk to her, and she could be, let's just suggest this. Let me tell you why I think this is interesting. I'm going to have to go forward and come back, whatever. Look over here at verse 29. She goes to town later. This struck me about three weeks ago. I just, it just, I thought, oh my. She went to town to tell people what, and listen to what she says. Come and see a man who told me all the things I've done. You know, the townspeople said, well, he could have just come talk to us. <laughs> right? She had some street cred. <laughs> Let me ask you something. Is there something in the way, the strength of God's love that causes her to face herself, that can rejoice in saying, He told me everything about how I'd done. Think about that for a minute. This Jesus who helped her face herself. Apparently there's no shame. There's no sense of denigration. Come here a man that told me everything I've ever done. I'm amazed at that. I'm amazed at an event in Jesus' life where he must have understood her and known what had happened. Maybe she's the, listen, maybe she has been so, I don't know, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, I'm just telling you, there are lots of possibilities here that this woman is not as bad as you want to, and I want to make her out to be. She's not. Maybe listen to her story. Maybe, maybe, maybe find out where she's been. I, I couldn't help but think about this. He told me everything I've ever done. Would that scare you to death or comfort you? It apparently, listen now, if it scares you, maybe you need to look at her. She wasn't afraid. She was willing to go into town and say, listen, this guy told me everything I've ever done. And I want you to go meet him. 
There must have been something, right? Something here, something going on between these two as they're talking that there wasn't shame or guilt or anxiety here. It was, I understand, I know, I can help you. It's easy for us to look down on people like this. I think I said to you a week or so ago, we dismiss people like this because of the way they've acted. But we don't know what's happened. It may be that we were just born on third base and think we hit a home run. You know, we, we were born on third base, man. We think we hit a home run. Well, no, we've had just a charmed life. You, you know how I think about when I think about this woman? Dramatic pause. See, I'm letting you think. <clears throat> yeah. one, of, <clears throat> one of my favorite stories, and I can't tolerate musicals, so I didn't go see it, but I've seen the movie and love it. La Miserable. You know, just tell me something's over there. Don't sing 14 bars on it. There's a cow over there. There's a, you know, come on. Just get to the line. <clears throat> right? I can't take it. <clears throat> I don't mind singing them a song. I don't want a dance routine and 14 measures to find that there's a cow over there. Okay? Or there's a, there's some fringe on the, Surrey, yeah, on the fringe on top. I don't, <clears throat> that one too. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> I did like when Jeb, though, had that. Anyway, I stopped that. <clears throat> but I thought of, in La Miserable, Fantine, the harlot, the prostitute. Fantine, <clears throat> in this incredible story, is misused in Paris by some rich boys that get her pregnant, tell her they love her, and... Uh, they leave her. And she has a little girl named Cosette. And she loves that little girl. And there's no way, if you have read the story, you know that how that she can care for him. And so she sells her hair to provide. And she sells her teeth to provide. The family that eventually took her in began to demand more money because they knew they could. They had a live one here who would not fail to do everything needed for their child. She becomes a harlot. She sells her body to provide for this child. If you've read about this, I, you know, I, you see, it's easy to deal with people like this and say, what a sorry person. You know, isn't it funny how that, what was motivating her, you may say, well, she should have trusted God. I, you know, I'm not going to get into that. But if you look at Fantine, and you see her, you say, there's love in there somewhere. There's something beyond what we understand <clears throat> of a mother's love for a child. So I, I don't know. I know this. I want to be more like Jesus. That if I tell people what I know, they don't descend into shame. They don't descend into guilt and self-hatred. They're willing to tell others, He told me everything I'd ever done, but He loved me. Th th think of that for a minute now. He's told me everything I've ever done. We tend to 
when we hear what we've done, we descend into shame and self-hatred. It happens all the time to people. Shame, I'm convinced, is the most destructive emotion or consequence you can ever experience. Because shame says, it's not, not, not I did something wrong, there's something wrong with me. I'm not good enough. It's the most destructive thing I've ever seen. I told some students one time, we were <clears throat> discussing this in a Bible study, and, and I said to them, I said, you know, the, the cycle of shame is you feel bad, things are happening, you struggle. You, you know, you, like I, I've done some of this work at uh, AA, some of my friends have helped me with that, is, you know, when you're hungry, you're angry, you're lonely, or you're tired, <clears throat> you know, you're, you're in a vulnerable position. <clears throat> and you're lonely or you're tired, you don't feel appreciated, and you feel the pain of that, and you go do something makes you feel better for a little while. You do that. And it can be alcohol. It can be drugs. It can be work. It can be work. It can be things. It's not just drugs and alcohol. It can be all kinds of stuff. And so you do that to relieve the pain. And then because you've been shamed by God or others, you think, what happens to the pain? comes right back up. Higher this time. What do you do to pain? You try to alleviate it. And you alleviate it through drugs or alcohol or work or something else. And the cycle continues. I had a student say to me when I said that, he said, Cliff, that's exactly what I've been doing for the last several years. I said, the answer here, Zach, is not try harder. The answer here isn't promise to never do it again. The answer is you've got to get in touch with a God who can tell you everything about you He knows and you're not shamed. And that's what happened to this lady. I, I just <clears throat> want you to look at something here. I, uh, on, the <clears throat> on the outline you can see in the back, it what if this week you asked Jesus to correct... But I want to look at this first. This is an old song. <clears throat> Tony Campolo tells the story that <clears throat> some years ago, when the AIDS epidemic first started, kind of started getting full-blown, <clears throat> that um, they pulled together a bunch of Christian artists uh, to sing and raise money for AIDS research. Christian artists. <clears throat> Said we're going to pull them together <clears throat> and we're going, to, we're going to have a concert and we're going to raise money to... to uh, for AIDS research. So everybody sang, and he said at the end, Steve Green, some of y'all know him, heard he's a great, great guy. He said, Steve Green stood up at the end of that concert, and a cappella sang this song. Think about this in terms of Fantine and this woman. Down in the human heart, crushed by the tempter. Feelings lie buried that grace can restore. Touched by a loving heart. This is the one that gets me. Wakened by kindness. Awakened by kindness. Chords that were broken will vibrate once more. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save.
I want to be like Jesus. That I can help people face who they are. But they don't leave broken and crushed. They're like this woman. Hey, you got to see this guy. He told me everything I've ever done. You got to get to him. The way we deal with people, when we do with that, they want to run, they want to hide. We press them back into their problems. I, I, I haven't heard this song. I, I can't tell you, it's written by Fanny Crosby. But as I read through that again, I, I saw that. Wakened by kindness. I've told you before, and I, just, this is my opinion. I, I know we live in a crazy world and a crazy culture. And there are lots of things that I believe are wrong. I, I get that. But I am so concerned that as Christians we're getting meaner and more judgmental. Now this song is in Scripture. But when it says, wakened by kindness. I've told you this probably before, but years ago I went to an AA meeting. And after the meeting I said, huh, where do I sign up? Because <laughs> my addiction is work and control. I'm a control freak. You know, that's why I rent cars on vacations. I can tear theirs up and not mine. <laughs> but I sat there and I heard people talk about where they were in their life with no evaluation and no judgment. Now, I, you know, it's, you can have all kinds of opinions. It's okay, I... I left there, though, looking at that saying, this is what awakens people to have the courage to deal with their stuff. This is what awakens people to deal with their stuff. When somebody can tell you, I know what you did. I know all about it. What's the next step? I asked Dan one time, I said, what would you guys do? You know, or we were just discussing... At one time, what do AA people do? You know, if a person is in the program or in the deal and they have a problem and twist off, you know, what, what, what do you say to people like that when they come back? And he said, welcome. <laughs> what do we say to people? You learned your lesson? Learned your lesson? You know why you did that? You understand you can't keep doing that and keep being a follower of Jesus? I've heard all of it. Yeah. How does Jesus give her the strength to face herself? He told her everything she did. And she was okay with it. Man, I want to be like that. So I want to ask you this. Man, we're not getting far enough. I want to sing this song. We're going to do it real quick. Here's what I want you to apply though. Somewhere in there I thought. Anyway, it's on the outline. Let me, let me ask you to consider this about yourself. Underneath that should be this. What if? You see that under the sign? Under the, yeah, what if? Here. This week you asked Jesus to correct, 
To ask Him to correct your view of His correction of you. Some of us have a messed up understanding of God's correction. When we get corrected by God, we think He's mad at us. He's upset with us. Listen, He loves us. So what, about this, what if you asked you to correct your view of correction? When, when God corrects us, don't fall down and feel bad and think God's mad at me. Just say, thank you, Jesus, that you know this about me and we can go forward. I've struggled with that for years, haven't you? That when I get corrected, I feel less than, worse than, instead of saying, you know all about me, Jesus. The next step. Okay, I don't know what key we're singing this in, but we're going to sing it. And if you don't know it, it's because you're under 40. <laughs> okay, so the rest of you yard birds just stick with us. <laughs> what happened there? Okay, I rebuked the enemy in Jesus. <laughs> I'm telling you. Aren't these Max wonderful? Here we go. Here we're going to do this. It, it, I, you got it written down. That's why I did that. Here we go. We're going to start in this. Uh, uh, uh. Down in the human heart, crushed by the tempter, feelings light buried that grace can restore. Touched by a loving heart, wakened by kindness, chords that were broken will vibrate once more. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Jesus is merciful, Jesus will save. Go out and be Jesus in this world. See you next week.